Am, am I on? All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm so, such a wreck right now. I like, don't even know what to do with these things in my hands. Um, Brad was talking about gifting. Let's pray again. I'm going to talk and we're going to pray. What's really cool about the incarnation is that Jesus took our humanity and his divinity and collided it into him. And it says that in Hebrews that we have a new and living way. Like before uh, in the Old Testament, there was like geographical locations where there were, there were high places. There were places where they knew like the, the, there was like a thin place in the spirit where you would go and you would, and even Abraham and Jacob, and they would encounter God in these places and uh, they would set up an altar and it would become this place that was like, this is like saying, okay, now even Moses, right? Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And the thing about the incarnation is Jesus came down, became one with us, created a new and living way where you are a holy place, where you don't have to go and run and find a mountaintop somewhere, fast for 40 days. I mean, I love fasting, but it's like, man, the one who fasted for 40 days came to us, Jesus. The one who confronted Satan in the wilderness came to us in our wilderness to create a new and living way in our hearts called the Holy Spirit, who gives us access into the Holy of Holies, who gives us access into the very realm of heaven in God. So when I say, like, let's pray, like, let's, let's pray, knowing that when Paul said we go boldly, or I say Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote Hebrews, <laughs> he said we go boldly before the throne of grace, seeking, I'm coming over here because I can see you guys. We go boldly for the, to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in our time of need. And it's like, you know, there's something really cool about living this, this faith walk, living this life that we live, that we get, to, we get to have encounter. We get to have real, true, tangible experience. Like Jesus wasn't just a spirit. God didn't stay this invisible deity aloof in outer space somewhere like Zeus, who you could never reach or attain to. He became a baby. God humbled himself, came down on our level. He got back into the dust with us again, like originally with Adam when he breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. When he breathed life into the dust, that's who Jesus is. <laughs> he came back into that manger. He came back into that dirty place, the King of kings and Lord of lords who breathed glory into man. It's what he did in Jesus. That's who God is in Jesus. And that's who God is in us. And he gives us this incredible opportunity to, to have him in encounter, to have him in true tangible experience, to have him in, in, the, in the written word, which I know that one of our primary focuses uh, is this right here. Um, at King's Church. I want there to be such a spirit of wisdom and revelation when we open this book that we don't just see tradition, we don't just see history, but we actually tangibly encounter the logos, the true logos from the beginning. John saw it so importantly that he said, look, I'm going, when he wrote his gospel, 
It's funny, it's one of the later gospels that was written. Uh, I think some of the tradition around that story is they kind of like beg, bu- uh, bugged him. Like, John, you've got to write your version. Like, what's yours part of the story? Everybody else had given their, like, you know, the historical account of what Jesus did. And, you know, you have Luke in the book of Luke. And, and, and Luke also wrote Acts. And it's a very, like, play-by-play testimony of the lives of the apostles. And John comes back, the one that Jesus loved. And he said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he dwelt among men. <laughs> and the darkness didn't know it. So our, our primary focus is to know the Word. So at King's Church, we want to know the incarnate Word, the Word that became flesh, but we want to know what's going on in these pages. We want to know what's going on. Is there a narrative? This phenomenal, mystical book that gets written off just as another historical... This isn't, um, this isn't Homer's Odyssey. This thing is phenomenal. This thing was written, okay, in a series of thousands of years by multiple people, and it's got one central narrative leading up to the end of the age. (laughs) This is incredible. I'm going to talk a little bit about what, we're going to go into Luke 5, and we're going to talk about what happened in Luke 5. Um, And and one of the reasons we like, that I like to lead with this is we get to encounter Jesus in the place of, of true, tangible experience and encounter, but it's not just about feelings. I love feelings. I love feeling his presence. But the truth is, is in our weakness, whether we feel it or not, we're still right there before the throne of grace. We're still right there. We're plugged in, um, jacked into the mainframe. And uh, so let's, let's go to Luke 5, and I want to talk a little bit about um, what's going on. I look, flipped right to it. Boom shakalaka. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with Peter and, and, and what's going on here with the disciples. Oh, man. I'm such a wreck, guys. So you guys have read, you know, this is a familiar passage. But I just want to get us out of Sunday school viewing of, of this. Not that, that we all are or anything, but it's, it's, I, I want to get out of that. It's so easy to do, you know. We read these stories and it's just, it can become familiar. I, I don't want to be familiar with the word. I want to be fascinated by it. So it says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, um, there's something, there's a phrase that the Lord gave me a while back. So I'm a bread man, um, and that's not a metaphor, that's a reality. I'm a bread man. I deliver bread. I'm a bread salesman for Sara Lee um, Bread Company. I drive a bread truck. I have a moving tabernacle of the manna of heaven. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's my tabernacle. That's my place of encounter. That's where I go to, to eat the bread of life uh, every day. Um, but there's something that the Lord had given me, put in my heart a while back, and it was blue-collar theology. And it's that this gospel wasn't written to elites. I love academia. I love, like, there's nothing more, ask my wife, that I love to do than crack open a commentary and go deep in this thing from people who have gone deep in this thing. Because I know I don't know it all, and I need help. So I love getting a broader view, a broader perspective um, of what's going on here 
over, overall, throughout the entire narrative, what's happening within a particular passage. I want to know how to look at this book, not just for me, but I want to know what Luke wanted me to know. You know, Luke wanted you to know something. What did Luke want us to know? So if we don't get anything today, I don't want you just to have what Chuck has for us today. Let's walk out of here going, what's Luke trying to tell me? Luke was writing, it's called reader relevance. What was Luke's point? Why, what was the, even throughout the whole book, that's what we're doing. So, but blue collar theology, blue collar theology is that this book was written for people who were fishermen. It was written for people who were poor, right? The Beatitudes, blessed are you poor. That's not a, that's not so much a monetary uh, thing as, as it is as a, a spiritual reality right? Poor in spirit. So what we have is we have a crowd of people who would be lower, lower to middle class people, mostly lower class people in terms of the, the, their financial you know, reality. But what they're doing is they're pressing in on him. What are they doing? To hear, is it up here? This is so epic, by the way. <laughs> so they're pressing in on him. Where is it at? To hear So what are they pressing in on? They're pressing in on the word. And so so who's, who's the initiator in this? Now obviously Jesus is. We, we, we love him because he first loved us. But in this situation, these are hungry, hungry people. And, and you know, they, they all, some of them have pathetic motives. He confronts it at one point, right? Y'all are only following me because you know, you remember the last time I multiplied the bread. So you're just, you just want more miracles. But it doesn't say that here. It's, you can see their motives here. They wanted to hear the word of God. So there's something about when we come together with a motivation and an intention to, to press in on the word that creates a release of creativity from the word himself. So the parallel passage in Luke 5, so this, so from basically Luke 5, 1 through 11, the parallel passage for that is Matthew chapter 13. So in Matthew chapter 13, so basically what you get in Luke 5, you get Luke's account of this incredible miracle that's about to happen. In Matthew chapter 13, you get Matthew's account of the message that the people pulled out of Jesus by their desire to press in upon the word. That's what happens. So in Matthew chapter 13, you, you get, um, Jesus goes in and he, he begins to preach the parables, right? And we all understand that Jesus preaches parables and, and they're, they're parables. Like, they're, uh, they're, they're Bilbo Baggins, right? <laughs> they're riddles. I don't know if you guys are Lord of the Rings or Hobbit fans here, but, you know, uh, they were confusing to the people. They, they, usually rabbis would they would explain parables, and Jesus would kind of drop the mic, walk off, and they'd be like, what, what, what the, you gonna, you gonna tell us what that was all about? And uh, Jesus was kind of like, if you're hungry, you'll come and get it. And uh, that's actually, you can think of the two fools on the road to Emmaus. Uh, it says he was going to walk right past them. Um, even uh, when he's walking on the water, uh, when he's, you know, the miracle Peter steps out of the boat, it says that he, he, it was like on his mind to keep going. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not right. Jesus should have stopped. It's like, no, Jesus is trying to reach out to that place of hunger where, 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 we'll, where it's not there anymore, but where we'll press in. We'll press in on him. We'll call out to him from that place of whatever, you know. 
So let's keep going. Um, on, on one occasion, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. I don't know how to say that, but that's basically uh, the Sea of Galilee um, by uh, Gennesaret. Okay, this, we're back in Luke 5. Okay, sorry guys. So they're by Gennesaret, and they saw, let's see, there was two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing the net. So I want to get back to the blue-collar theology thing. Is what you see here is you see some guys, like, this is funny. There is, there really is a, um, a comedic element. The Bible, the, the, the gospel is a comedy in the, in the Shakespearean sense, right? Because it's got a good ending, <laughs> So you can see a, a kind of comedic element here, and, and the point that I'm going to make is this is like uh, the blue-collar comedy tour here. You see, you see the uh, Larry the Cable guy, the Ron White, and the Jeff Foxworthy guys, and they're not just that. They're not dumb rednecks, but that's what the elite of the day applied to them. That was the satanic accusation towards these men, but in reality, they were hungry to find the Messiah. That was who they were, and you'll see that later on, that Jesus wasn't just randomly picking uh, disciples here. Like, he actually went to the ones that he saw who had humble hearts. They were messed up. They, they were certainly not perfect. But he, he wasn't, there was nothing arbitrary about the way he, he went out about picking his, his 12. So you see these, you see these, um, this blue-collar theology kind of unfolding in front of us, this blue-collar comedy tour of Jesus here. Um, so, they, but what were they doing? They were, they were cleaning their nets. And what's interesting about that is that they, they had quit. They had been all night fishing, doing what they had always done. There was no, they were in the routine of life, just that mundane, ordinary, in and out routine of life. Um, yet, I need you to go sit down, Bobo, with mommy. Thank you. So they're in that routine of life, <clears throat> And then they're washing their nets. And so if I was going to label this message, this is picking back up what you've laid down. The Lord calling you to pick back up what you've laid down. Because you see that's what ends up happening. So I'm just going to read through it. So getting into one, so they, the fishermen had, let's see, they had gone out of the boats. Jesus noticed that, obviously. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. So Jesus is now preaching. And we know from Matthew 13 what it was that Jesus preached. And that's going to be really important later on as we go through Luke 5. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And we had fin when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. Like that's an underlying verse right there. Because they're, they're not in the deep places anymore, in their hearts. Like, this is a, this is a metaphor, it's a narrative. There is, there is literal things going on here. There's, there's a nationalistic, uh, Isra like, Israelite uh, prophetic promises being fulfilled in these, in these scriptures right here. Like, Jesus is actually coming and fulfilling things. And we know that from Matthew 13. But there's, there's an incredible depth of of purpose that's happening right here, but there's also a, a very real sense of individual depth. Like Jesus is calling them back out into the deep where they had come onto the shore and they, they're tired. I, I, I'm a bread guy. I've held blue-collar jobs my whole life. I have worked 24 hours straight. I know what it's like to work by the sweat of my brow. And um, I know what it's like and, and that's just in the natural sense. I also know what it's like to, to be under the curse 
and be working from the place of my own capacity and strength, rather, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than eating from the tree of life, okay? So we can see that in Peter's response. So he sat down, he taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. What's the difference between what's happening there? What's the difference between where they had been out there We toiled all night and took nothing. What's the difference? But at your word, I will let down the nets. Okay, let's let's flip over to Psalm 127. I want you guys to see this. Actually, I don't have this on the, I don't have Psalm 127 or Genesis on the, um, it's not a teleprompter, but on the, the screen here, but that's okay. Let's go to Genesis Chapter 3. I love hearing the, the, the pages flip. I'm like uh, becoming, I don't know how to call it, like I've just becoming so analog oriented lately. Just wanted to unplug from technology. <laughs> um, all right, so Genesis chapter 3. Is it... Um, I don't know if I have it on my phone or not. Oh, yeah. Verse 19. All right. Verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So we know that this is, this is directly after Adam and Eve you know, fell. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They've become um, self-sufficient. They've become self-focused and insecure. The problem with them realizing that they were naked, the, the reason God responds to them, who told you you were naked, wasn't because their nakedness was a problem. It was because their focus on that was a problem. His, his, his question was, who told you? Otherwise, there aren't mirrors around. How did you figure this out? Right? So Psalm 127. So they've stepped into a spiritual reality Paul talks about it. He calls it the carnal nature or, the, or, or just carnality focused on the flesh, different synonyms for the same thing. But what it, what it really is is it is where our mind is focused. The, the entire gospel narrative, in some degree or another, is, is a narrative of what tree are we eating from or what kingdom are we living from. Or another way of put it is, would be, you know, what... What mind are you living out of? Are you living out of yours or the mind of Christ, right? So in Psalm 127, this is, this is my favorite, like, God, I, I spent, God spent three years teaching me this verse, teaching me this text um, in, a, in an object lesson. I've been driving up and down Highway 127 delivering bread in Kentucky I, and actually even fertilizing lawns, which is very kind of garden-oriented, fertilizing lawns for Scott's Lawn Service, then I got a different job, same exact route, going up and down um, Highway 127 in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. And the Lord had been been continually speaking to me about this passage, teaching me about what reality I'm choosing to live under, right? Um, 
kind of, kind of, yeah, so let's just keep going. So unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. The whole point of Psalm 127 is there's a way that we do things that's vanity and the way that God does things that's life. <clears throat> Verse 2, it is vain that you rise up early, go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. All right, Luke 5. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. Jesus is coming to Peter and he's bringing them out of the place of Psalm 127 toiling and he's showing them a new and living way. It's called the Word. He's teaching them where to live from. What's the Word? I am the bread of life. I'm the manna that your fathers ate in the wilderness. Jesus is showing them a different ontological reality, a different mode of being. He's undoing the curse. He's untangling the complicated demonic lie of the enemy from the garden who said, surely, you know, he said, surely you're not going to die? That, oh, you know, you're not in his image. You're not made according to his likeness. You got to get this on your own. He's not going to help you. He's not going to show you how to do it. You got to go after this other tree. If you want knowledge, you got to find that on your own, Jack. <laughs> You're not going to get that in the place like Mary of Bethany. You're not going to get that at the feet of Jesus. You're going to go, you got to toil for that. That's where, that's where Peter had been. But Peter was a there's, a, there's a lady that my wife turned me on to. Her name's Laura Casey. She's about, she's about goals. But her, 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 she comes from goals, really from the place of the Spirit. And she says, you only change when the pain of staying the same is more scary than the pain of changing. It's the only time you change, and that's where these guys are at. These guys have been toiling. They're these blue-collar dudes out there fishing, making a buck. Actually, they're amazing, really. They're entrepreneurs. They're bringing economic freedom to their community. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're really doing some... They're, it's awesome. Like that's, Jesus sees that. Jesus isn't like, hey, by the way, your gift of being a fisherman... I don't need that. And we'll see that, right? So they're in the place of toil, and Jesus is unraveling that. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So you guys know about like, the thing, a dream catcher, right? It's like a pagan symbol, right? I feel like the Lord kind of showed me this in, in, in sense of like, redeeming this kind of idea, is that the nets are really like the dreams of God. And that God is teaching these guys to let down their nets and pull out their dreams again. Because that's kind of like, they'd, what is it? It's almost like a filter. and Everything's been filtered out of the nets. There's nothing left. There's no catch. There's no fruit. There's no reward. There's no treasure. There's no, there's no um, uh, purpose. But the Lord is ready to be a dream catcher for these guys. In, in a true sense, right? He's using these nets, and he's, he's, gonna, he's calling them to go back out in the deep, and he's, he's showing them a new way of doing it. So at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. The point, the point about what's happening is there, there's, there is no, there's no hype. There's no, there's no Peter left. 
And, 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 and what, there's no Peter in that sense. There's no Peter in the sense of the Peter identified in the wrong tree. He's being drained out because it's, he's just, that's, that's how you pick up your cross and you die daily. That's how you pick up your, you, you're, you're, you're dying to that tree of knowledge of good and evil identity and you're picking up the tree of life identity. You're, you're going to the cross and letting the cross put that old thing to death and resurrect who you truly are called to be. And this is what these guys, and this is what Jesus is walking these guys through. Their nets were breaking. Um, they signaled to their partners. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. So, so such an incredible increase. And this is what's so amazing about this. The Lord actually does want to bless us to such a degree that it compels us to preach the gospel. Woe is me unless I preach the gospel. They were, they were so compelled, and this is what I believe for King's Church, is that it's going to be so intense that we're going to have to network. What is network? <laughs> we're going to have to network. Holy Ghost. It, it's, not a, it's not a Freudian slip, it's a, it's a Holy Ghost slip. <laughs> All right. And they came and filled both the boats, so there's a, there's a double portion kind of thing going on here, to the point where they began to sink. So this is the thing, it's if you do it and then you get selfish about it, your boat's going to sink. You'll sink under the blessing of the Lord. The very thing that was meant to bless you will kill you. <laughs> but when Simon Peter saw it, he felt, oh, so anyways, so you know, they, they called out, they got more people, they were all astonished. James and John are there. It's, it's incredible. Um, this part is, is really intriguing. It says, for he, this is uh, Peter's response to Jesus. But Simon Peter, this is verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So it compels repentance. But what's really interesting is in the reference column of my Bible, it takes me to Isaiah chapter 6. And what do you know that's happening in Isaiah chapter 6? When I'm reading this, I saw it's like this is like a, Isaiah's response. He's before the Lord. Isaiah chapter six. <clears throat> let's see, verse five. Well, let's let's just put this in context because this is this is this is me going back to the point that this book has this incredible, phenomenal narrative to it that you cannot create. Like the idea that a group of people could sit down over a course of thousands of years, when I say a group, we're talking about a good number of people, could sit down over a course of years, weave together this narrative, even Peter's response to this incredible miracle, he had been toiling all night. This guy is a professional fisherman. You don't fall down at someone's feet and says, woe is me, depart from me in conviction if the catch was just another ordinary catch. Like this is sinking his boat. He's never seen anything like this. But what's funny is when you read Matthew 13, you realize Jesus has been preaching before they got out on the boat from Isaiah 6. So Peter has been out there and he's got Jesus' words in his head. He's got Isaiah 6 in his head because Jesus had just preached that. Peter's not just an ignorant fisherman. He knows his Bible. And he's responding according to the message that Jesus had just preached. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And he's recognizing his lack. And he's coming in humility before the person that Isaiah saw. Not just another man from Galilee. Not just a Nazarite. 
not just a man born in a manger in Bethlehem, but Jesus is seeing, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, and above and each had six wings. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. This is what Peter is seeing, that this Jesus is this man in Isaiah chapter 6. And, G, and this, this is blowing Peter's mind. So he's, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what, Peter, that's what you read in Matthew chapter 13. That Jesus had been preaching that. He had been preaching about a nation of people who had hardened their hearts and become stubborn. They were, they were blind guides. They had become blind guides. They had blinded themselves and clogged up their ears and they didn't want to hear anymore. And here you have... Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And Simon does this over and over again. He sees, he falls, but he, kept, he keeps going. <laughs> it's amazing. It's this humility that this man has. He, he falls in front of a 12-year-old girl. Depart from me. To the t- he's he's d- denying the Messiah. And Jesus comes back to him. Feed my sheep, Peter. This is this, this man, Peter, this blue-collar guy, this guy who had nothing to, to give the, the religious academic community around him, the, the elite uh, church circuit, the itinerant circuit. He didn't have anything to offer. The guy's catching fish. He stinks. But he had a humble heart, and he also was willing to recognize his pain and his lack. He knew that he didn't want that toil anymore, and this guy, Jesus, offered a way out. And that's what real repentance is. Real repentance isn't just, I don't know, like this religious system of kicking yourself when you do something wrong. It's turning to this guy Isaiah saw. And when you keep reading Isaiah chapter 6, this angel comes and it brings this coal of mercy and, and, and cleansing and he touches Isaiah's lips with it. Isaiah receives the, the forgiveness. And, and, and he, but then what happens is Isaiah calls out, he cries out, or the, they, he hears the, who will go for me? And then Isaiah responds, I will go, send me. And we see Peter responding to this. And, and it's not, this is all, this isn't all, none of this is accidental by Jesus. This isn't just like, uh, again, when you read this, this is a phenomenal thing to see how these texts interweave together. When you see from the garden, us being cursed into this spiritual place of of, of, of well, really deadness and toiling and resisting the spirit and, and turning to the flesh, turning to our capacity, our way. We're going to do things our way, our doing it. We become rebellious. We, we, we're rebellious towards parents. We're rebellious towards everything. And No, it's, I, if I can't figure it out on my own, I don't want it. And I need to be able to convince myself. And until I can convince myself, I don't need help from you. I don't need help from others. That's the way of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the way of self-centeredness. There were two trees in the center of the garden. There will be two trees in the center of your life. Or one, one tree will be in the center of your life of our lives, and we get to choose which tree. And here Peter is falling on his knees in front of the tree of life, falling on his knees in front of the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He's seeing that. He's not just seeing, oh, this is just a, maybe, maybe this Jesus, he's just a prophet. That's not what's happening to Peter. Peter's going, the one that Isaiah talked about, the one who was high and lifted up, seated on a throne, has become flesh. The Yahweh of the Old Testament is standing in front of Peter in flesh. And Peter's world is rocked, literally. That's what Peter means. So, 
For he and all who were with him were astonished. And the catch of fish that they had taken, they were astonished at the catch. And then Peter, and Jesus said to Simon, this is, this is amazing to me, do not be afraid. That kind of sounds like the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. It sounds like this, these times where these men would encounter um, God in the fire and the response would be, do not be afraid, Gideon. Do not be afraid. It's like, here he is. You're not wrong. I am who I say I am. This is amazing. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And they left everything. And they followed him. I just want to know if the gospel we're responding to is a gospel. Look, and I don't care about your bank account. I don't care about selling your car, selling your houses. I want to know what's going on in here. Like, are we, are we willing to, to leave everything that we thought, our perspectives, the, the Adam way, the way of Adam, the way of carnality, the way of the flesh, the way of the, the me, 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 I want, I want, I want tree. Are we able to let that go in turn? But according to your word, I'll go back out into the deep, Lord. I'll hope again. I'll throw my net out there. Maybe there's a dream. Not just the Adam dream, but what's God's dream? What's the dream of God's heart? Do not be afraid. They left everything and followed him. And what's really amazing to me, I wrote in my Bible to pray this. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. I want to pray that for myself. But, but what's incredible to me is that Jesus didn't say, okay, now I need you to go and acquire um, all these. I mean, he, they, they went into training, certainly. They were certainly trained. But they didn't go. He didn't, he didn't change their job description, per se. They're still fishermen, literally. He's taking the gift that they always had and he's flipping the kingdom upside down on them, right? He's flipping them out of one kingdom and going, use your gift this way. You're going to catch men, Peter. That's exactly what he does. So the word, we press in on the word and the word releases a creative miracle and then we respond to the word because we see the word for who he is. You know? And... And again, it's, it's not so much outward focus. Like, I want to see, see the real creative stuff. I want to see the, the kneecaps that get popped back in place. And I want to see all the... But what I cherish more than anything is what happened to Peter. I want to be... I want to be flung to my knees, fascinated by him. And, and, and in that place, both see my need for him and also my capacity to be filled by him. Because true repentance isn't just leaving you empty, it's filling you with his presence and his Holy Spirit. So I feel like, you know, a lot of what's, what's going on, and this is more kind of prophetically speaking for, for our state and, and for this church and for us as individuals, is that I, I really believe that there's some time frame to this about a few years back, about three years back, that, and, and even maybe beyond that. So if this is true for you regardless, um, it doesn't matter. 
But I know for me, about three years back, the Lord called me to put some things down, specifically revolving around ministry, and really specifically revolving ministry itself. I put ministry down. This is the first time I've been in a pulpit for, since 2014. And the Lord was teaching me Psalm 127, unless I build the house, Chuck. And I was learning, what does that even mean, God? And he was just showing me the difference between my way and his way. And it seems pretty simple, but it's a big difference when you're living it out. And you start to, to realize that, that really what it means is yieldedness and surrender to, to him. You can't do God things man's way. You've got to do God things God's way. And um, so I, I feel like for us that there's been some disillusion and disenfranchisement and and, and, and even the enemy has tried to use the hope deferred to make our hearts sick. Because we've, we've, it's not that we shouldn't work. It's like you absolutely should work. It's the spirit in which you work. But because of the toiling, it can become very easy to be disenfranchised and disillusioned and, and just want to give up. And, and uh, Brad, was, we were talking about this the other night, pointed out, you know, you see the, the disciples, they return back to this later on. They go back to their boats after Jesus dies. They're disillusioned. They're disenfranchised. The Messiah. They've been waiting for this guy. They know the text. They've been reading Isaiah. They've been reading Jeremiah. They know what's supposed to happen, but they don't have a full grid on it yet, right? They're, they're still lacking revelation. And then when Jesus dies, they're disillusioned. They're disenfranchised. The dream died. The seed fell down to the ground, and it died. And I really feel like there's dreams that God's put in our hearts that have fallen to the ground. Unless a seed falls to the ground, it can't live. It has to die. It's got to go into that place of death, into the tomb, so that God can resurrect it in His Spirit. So that you don't just live according to your way, but you live according to the Spirit. And there's some, there's just, there's nets. We've been washing our nets, and we're going, man, all the dreams are just falling through the nets. I'm not catching anything. And... So to the point where I think this is true for our state, I think this is true for our nation, that we don't even want to think about it because it hurts too much. And I think that's true. And it, and it should hurt because the hurt actually drives you to the healer, to Jesus. And if you don't let it hurt, you'll miss out. If you, if you try to religiously pretend like, and I use that in the sense of a shallow sense of traditionally, you know, well, I got to say all the right things, you know, I'm not supposed to hurt, you know, God's my, my healer. It's like, well, yeah, that's true, but if you have hurt, don't pretend like it's not there. Like, that's shallow. Don't let that happen. So I think it's, it's time to, to, like, look at the places where we feel like things have been slipping through the net and let it hurt us so that he can come and heal us and then bring us into this place of deliverance and breakthrough where the nets are breaking through and where the, 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 the Lord is actually breaking through against the enemy and releasing um, an actual harvest into our lives. Um, and, it's, and it's just repositioning us into, into the place of his harvest. Because it's not about us. It is about him. It's, a whole, it's holy about Jesus. Holy about him. Unless the Lord builds the house. It's, uh, who said, was that you, Megan, that said that? It's, it's exa exactly the truth. So we're just coming back into the place of unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It's not that we don't labor. It's that we labor according to his word. You know, the difference between anxious labor, like in Psalm 127, versus, uh, what is it, in, in um, striving for that rest 
in Hebrews. So, does it make any sense, anyone, as far as the, the nets? And I mean, we're, we're family. We can talk a little bit. I, I want you to, like, raise your hand or something if you've, if you've felt that. Like, seriously, like, raise a hand if you feel like, no, like, seriously, like, no, I don't know if I have a purpose anymore. Like, I don't know if, if my catch didn't just fall through the net. And if there, is there even a dream of God? David said, is there not a cause? I saw, I saw dreams sitting up here this morning. Dreams. There's future and a hope. But the problem is, is we grow up. And then suddenly the dream dies. I don't know, y'all. I just, I'm not willing to keep following a, I don't care. I love, I love our church traditions. I love, I love the places we've been. I love the, the history of the church. But I'm not willing to follow if there's not a purpose, if there's not spirit and life, I don't, it's just a net that can't catch anything. It's just another way of traditional doing things that can't catch anything. And I don't want to toil in the gospel. I want power to bring a catch. And like, I don't even care. Listen, if this is selfish, it's selfish. I don't even care about that yet. I need it in me. I don't need, listen, you guys, I, I don't care about this. It, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. This is, this is foolishness. You guys know it. And we all know it. This is foolishness. If, if, if we're not being fascinated by Jesus. We meet every Sunday. I love worship. I love, uh, there's nothing, guys, I'm addicted. I, I, in 2007, I came back to the Lord. I was baptized when I was Asher's age. I was five years old by Mike Brady at Tatesbrook Church. And I loved the Lord, but I didn't know him very well. And when I was a teenager, I did teenage things. I became a young adult, but I was still a teenager, and I did teenage things in my 20s. I went out and I partied hard. I do things hard. Hard, guys. <laughs> and I fell hard. And I, to, to, I got to that point where my pain of staying the same, does that make sense? It was, it was greater than the, the fear of changing. I heard a voice. I felt the conviction of my parents, my mom, her prayers most of the time. Amen. In retrospect, I can actually see and hear the Holy Spirit multiple times. Come on, Chuck, how long are you going to do that, man? I would be passed out in a garden, literally, looking up at the moon. And, I, and it, wasn't, it wasn't this, you idiot. It was, how long, man? How long are you going to stay there? And then I'm driving away from a girl's house that... Uh, I'm in an inappropriate relationship with, and um, everything's just noise, because I'm toiling. I'm trying to work this life my way. I'm toiling and toiling and toiling. I'm wanting love, but it's killing me. <laughs> and I hear a voice. I turned down the radio. I was really big into like, uh, like screamo music. 
And uh, I turned down the radio, was listening to Under Oath, and um, I hear a voice. And it doesn't say, you idiot. <laughs> I love you. And you're going to have a son. He's giving me dreams. This is how he's catching me. He didn't ignore my sin, but he introduced me to a promise and a purpose. And he told me I was going to have a son, told me to stop trying to sleep with the girl that I was trying to sleep with, and to stop getting drunk with her because it's using her. And I didn't stop trying. <laughs> I kept on because I'm just messed up. I'm just messed up. And uh, a friend of mine um, gives his life back to the Lord. He's my roommate and my drinking buddy. And um, he comes home, and, and I'm, I'm prophesying satanic words to him. I'm cussing at him. F you, man, you know you're going to be back here this weekend, and we're going to get drunk. And, um, and he's like, no, man, he's different. And the thing that's different is he, he has seen this man. He has met the Holy Spirit, and he has felt and lived in the presence of God, even just for a moment. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. My friend Josh, who is, is Jesus, he knows that, and he's seen that, and now he's, he's changed. And he introduces me, and I come to church, and I hear the Lord again for the second time, and he says, welcome back. I don't hear, hey, by the way, I need you to quickly repent of this laundry list of sins. Why? Because he already knew my pain. He already knew how badly I felt about it all. Not everybody does know. I knew. I've met people who are completely ignorant of their, their need. But I wasn't. I, I was, it had been a, a long road. And um, I got introduced to a purpose. A man came in town. And uh, I've been going to this church for a few days, a few weeks. This man comes in town with another man, and they're preaching in downtown Lexington at whatever that opera thing is for, that the school owns. And um, they're preparing the ground. They're, they're toiling under a different set of rules. Except it's, it's not really toiling, right? It's, they're preparing the way of the Lord. And... Uh, they were preparing, uh, it was in 2007, this is, must have been March-ish, and they were getting ready for something called The Call. It was a, a series of solemn assemblies. Um, it sort of been like a promise keepers thing in the 90s, but this is 2007. And uh, it was a series of solemn assemblies. There was a guy named Lou Engel and a guy named Ray Hughes, and they were preaching about life. And they were preaching about how can we expect God's blessing in a nation that legally promotes abortion and a death culture? How can we expect God to bless us when we live under a legalized, legalized death, killing dreams? And I, my, it hit me in my pain. Because one of these girls that I had chased, I had actually promoted her to go have an abortion. The Lord redeemed me, he restored me, he granted me repentance, he, he gave me mercy. And, but not only that, I got awakened to purpose. That this thing called the call, where they were, they were convinced, it was like a, a saying by the Wright brothers, that they were inflicted with belief that they could fly. 
I had become inflicted with belief that God could turn America back to him. Lou Engle, Ray Hughes, preached on a sound, that there's a sound coming, that there's something coming, and it's coming from the bride. It's coming from the deep places of our hearts. It's coming from the places where we thought there was death, and he's coming to bring life. And, and I met and became fascinated with this man in 2007 and sanctified my life. I began fasting and praying, and I went from dreams flying through my nets, and I became a dream catcher. And I want to read this to you. This is a, a quote that Lou Engle quoted last year in February, and it's funny because it snowed. I was listening to this yesterday, and it had just snowed, and it says, a dream is a hearty thing. It doesn't die. True dreams from God don't melt easily in the cold of winter. Dreams keep, keep you alive when everyone else is wilting in the wilderness. A dream is a hearty thing. We've been in a place of wilderness. We've been in a place where and the Lord is coming and He's going, it's not, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So let's, let's stand up. Because this isn't going to be something that like... We're not looking for fire to fall down, so to speak. But we're looking for Him to come and shift our hearts. Brian, come up here and get on, on the keys if you would, man. The whole, the whole point of this is recognizing that in one sense, this is what repentance is. I'm turning to Him, and I'm looking at Him. In the other sense, I can't do anything about it, and I just need Him to come and do something in me. Does it make sense? So it, we're with Him. We're not doing nothing, but what we're doing is we're doing it according to the Word. All right. Take a deep breath. Just breathe in His Spirit. We're just looking at him right now. Jesus, I just thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. I thank you that um, we matter to you. That sometimes, because it is all for your glory, we forget that you have actually made us your glory. And that you, like a father actually really, really care about our dreams. Psalm 37, verse 4, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. I thank you, Jesus, that your word says that we'll know the truth and the truth shall set us free and we will become disciples of yours. Not just the truth will set us free and we can just go back to living in our own way, but the truth will set us free and we leave everything and follow you. I thank you, Lord, that it's not your way or the highway, it's your way is the highway. God, let us not live under, you said, set your mind on things that are above. Why? Because that's where your kingdom is. 
That's where your throne is. That's where your glory is. That's what fascinated Peter when he saw you, Jesus. And it convicted his heart, but it also gave him hope. 1 Corinthians 13 says, These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. I thank you, God, that the greatest of these is love, but we don't want to throw aside faith and hope. God, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We want you to come and bring healing to our hearts. God, where we've, we've been sick in, in sin and anxiety, Lord. Lord, we don't want to allow anxiety, anxiety to be leashed to us. It's not something that is, is small in your eyes. Psalm 127, eating the bread of anxious toil, but he gives to his beloved in the night dreams from the heart of God that you give sleep to us God like like Job where in the dead of sleep where man sleeps he dreams and God speaks God I just pray right now in Jesus name over uh, everyone in this room over me over the children in Kentucky God that dreams would be resurrected that we would learn to dream with God the dream language of heaven would be imparted into our lives Asher, my son, my five-year-old, who you saw coming up to me tonight, because he's, he's coming to Jesus. That's, he loves Jesus. And uh, he had a dream last week, and he, he drew it out, and it was a waterfall coming into a house. And it, and it really marked him because he just hasn't been able to stop talking about it. And he's like, Dad, I really liked that dream. He said uh, this morning, Dad, I really liked that dream. It's a good dream. And there was a bad guy in the dream and he was kind of off in the corner being weird and distracting. And, but there was this house and our family and then this waterfall. And I just want to say, guys, that God wants to give you dreams where like in, what is, I don't, can't remember the reference, but it's in Psalms where the deep that calls out to deep like the roar of his waterfall. That's, him calling us back out into the deep again. It's into the deep places where we can dream, where we can feel. We're all wired differently. Not all of us are feelers. I'm not a feeler. I'm a thinker. <laughs> I took my personality test this weekend and I failed it. And it uh, I'm kidding. But I, I'm a thinker. I'm not a feeler. But he wants to ignite and touch us in our heart and cause us to come alive like Peter in the way that we're gifted. So God, right now, why don't you guys just lay hands on it? Well, I don't know what to do. Jesus, let's just love us, Lord. Thank you for your word that is spirit and truth. I believe you, God, that you're going to take this word and cause it to germinate, cause the seed to sprout this week and release encounter in, in all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.